Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Greetings, and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. Today's episode is sponsored by the town of Stony Plain. Stony Plain holds a special place for me because it's my hometown. It's where I went to junior high and high school, and my parents still live near the community to this day. So being able to make a sponsored episode about my hometown, well that was pretty special. This episode will not be like a normal episode. Rather than go through a chronological history of the town, I'm going to be taking various stories and tales and attractions and talking about those. There will also be vintage audio, in an interview with Mayor William Choi about the town. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Indigenous History The Stony people who occupied the area, along with parts of what would one day be Saskatchewan and Montana, were descendants of the Dakota, Lakota, and Nakota bands, as well as western groups of the Assiniboine, becoming their own independent group around 1744. The Stony who occupied the Stony Plain area were termed as the Wood Stony, and they made up two bands. The first band was a Lexus band, which included the Stony, Metis, and Woodland Cree, was made up of the Deniza, Iroquois, Woodland Cree, and Stony. They would sign Treaty 6 in 1877, just prior to the arrival of the first settlers in the area. Today, Stony Plain sits on Treaty 6 land. In 2018, an Aboriginal medicine wheel was created and installed at Heritage Park. The wheel was made with different participants making pieces of the wheel, with the wheel representing north, east, south, and west, along with the circle of life and the wisdom of the buffalo, the eagle, the bear, and the wolf. Settler History Two of the first settlers in the area were John McPherson and Alex McNabb who picked up land where Stony Plain would eventually be located, with the two helping each other build up their homes and plant the first crop. McPherson would have a long impact on the district, and he was elected as a Liberal candidate for the Stony Plain district in the first Alberta election, and he would serve until 1913, when he was appointed as the Sheriff of Red Deer. He would eventually retire to BC and die in 1944, just before he turned 89. Now one thing that all school children in Stony Plain know is that the community used to be called Dog Rump Creek. You can actually see a sign for Dog Rump Creek on the Tourist Information Building at the Rotary Park in Stony Plain, which is a great place to visit for a nice walk through a beautiful park. So how did Dog Rump Creek become Stony Plain? 
Before the area became developed by settlers, the area around Stony Plain was heavily wooded with brush and some open plain. The open land was perfect for the buffalo and cattle, and with the indigenous of the area being called the Stony People, those two things came together to form Stony Plain. In 1892, when John MacDonald applied for a post office, he wanted to call it Stony Plain, but with an E and a Y. But he was told that he was not situated in Stony Plain, and he could not use the name. The area around Spruce Grove was called Stony Plain at the time, and the creek going through the area was called Dog Rump Creek, or sometimes Dog Creek. Around this same time, settlers from Medicine Hat came to the area and gave it the name Hofnugsau, which means Hopeful Meadow. This name was never officially registered, but some baptism certificates actually mention the name. MacDonald, though, was not going to be denied his name, and he pleaded his case. He said that only bachelors lived in Spruce Grove and area, but the place he wanted to call Stony Plain was full of families. Eventually, perhaps because of his persistence, the officials gave in and allowed him to call the post office Stony Plain. And over time, the E was dropped, so it would just be S-T-O-N-Y, Plain, without the E. Interestingly enough, Spruce Grove applied for a post office called Stony Plain East, but they were denied, so they just went with Spruce Grove as the community's name. As for Dog Rump Creek, the bend in the creek of the Dog Lake looks like a dog's rump, and that is where the name came from. There is another story that says Dr. James Hector, who came through with the Palliser expedition, saw boulders scattered through the area, and that was where the name came from. As is incredibly common with communities in Alberta and Saskatchewan, there is the old site and the new site for the community. When John MacDonald made the decision to donate part of his land for the town site, he thought the Grand Trunk Railway would be coming through his land. He was wrong as the railway would go through just north of his property. Three businesses began operating on his property before the railway came through, with a general store, a blacksmith, and a hardware store. Eventually, though, the new Stony Plain settlement would be built next to the railroad. The CNR, which was the Grand Trunk Railway at the time, would arrive in 1905 and erect an excellent station in the new community and connect it to the telegraph lines, bringing Stony Plain to the world. The buildings in Old Stony Plain would move in the winter of 1905-06 using 20 teams of horses and rolling buildings over the frozen ground. The move is celebrated in a mural in the community painted in 2008, and the blacksmith's shop owned by Jacob Schramm was moved to the new location, and today the history of that business is celebrated in another mural painted in 2003. I will get to the murals of Stony Plain later in the episode. The community would eventually grow enough that in 1908, it moved from being a village to a town, which it remains to this day. In 1908, the population had increased to a thousand people, and an application was put forward to incorporate into a town. The village would officially become a town on December 10, 1908, after approval came from the provincial government. At the time, A.M. Brown, the manager of the Bank of Commerce, was elected as the first mayor. At the same time, Israel Umbach, someone we will talk about later, was given the contract to build the first town hall. That town hall opened with a dance held on December 31, 1909. That town hall would exist for half a century until it was demolished in 1958. At that town hall, a bell would ring every day at noon, but it would also be rung to ring in the new year and to summon the Volunteer Fire Brigade. Here is William Choi. 
Uh, Sony Plains is unique because uh, we held on to our heritage. Um, as the, um, the town grew from you know, village to, uh, to the town, the size it is now, uh, we held on to the roots of being a farming community. And that's where our, our bread and butter is, uh, line into uh, to our, our, I guess, keeping in touch with the roots of uh, what got us here. The Multicultural Center. Within Stony Plain, you will find the Multicultural Center, which has some of the best ice cream you can possibly find. The center is situated in the Red Brick School, which was built in 1925 and served as the senior high school for the area. The school was built, as you can expect, from Red Brick and was situated across the lot from the original school. The land that the Multicultural Center sits on was actually a demonstration farm that was established in 1912, covering 480 acres. Until the 1940s, the high school was surrounded by open fields for the most part. The high school grounds would see several important events in the community. For example, on May 12, 1937, a celebration of the coronation of King George VI and Queen Elizabeth was held on the grounds of the high school, where a tree planting ceremony was held. Memorial Composite High School, where I actually attended, but which is now gone, was built in 1949 nearby to the original high school. From that point, and for the next 25 years, the building was used as an overflow and storage area for the school division. On September 15, 1974, the Multicultural Center officially opened by Horst Schmid, the Minister of Recreation, Parks and Wildlife for the province. The building has a place to eat, lots of artifacts, and the Cornelia Wood Library on the top floor. Now, Cornelia was born on April 14, 1892 in Missouri, and came to Canada in 1904 with her family. In her personal history, she also stated she was a descendant of Sir Walter Raleigh and Thomas Jefferson. Her father obtained land south of Stony Plain and moved out just after the Christmas season in 1904. Wood had served on the school's district board of trustees and was devoted to helping the community. In 1963, when the Stony Plain Women's Institute was commemorating its 50th anniversary, Wood donated 1913 costumes for everyone from her own collection. Wood was also the original secretary-treasurer of the organization when it was formed, holding the position until 1918. But most importantly, in 1940 she would be elected to the Legislative Assembly of Alberta, becoming one of the first women elected in Alberta, serving until 1955 and then again from 1959 to 1967. In 1981, she was a recipient of the Governor General's Award in commemoration of the person's case, and she was only one of five women to receive this award. In 1982, she was given the Most Honored Citizen Award from the Stony Plain District Chamber of Commerce, and she would pass away at the age of 93 in 1985. At the Multicultural Center, you can also find a replica of the wheel and chain used by Israel Umbach. Who was that, you ask? Stay tuned, because I'll be getting to that incredible story later in the episode. The facility has programs throughout the year, and speaking from experience, I highly recommend the ghost tours held in October. Here is William Choi. The history that's all in that area in terms of the Offer National House and the old uh, school brick building, and you mentioned that also, like the, the ghost tours will also mm -hmm. provide programs to the, uh, the Perk building through the community gardens, and there's also other um, recreational activities in there because they have a gymnasium in the Perk building which they rent out and just kind of keep people connected. 
I think one of the biggest differences is in our community, we have a lot of organizations that uh, put on programs and events that pull the community together. Um, the more that we, we do that, the more that our community and residents get out, the more connected we are, the more connected we are, it means that we're more of a friendly and welcoming um, society in our, in our town. The Stony Plain and District Pioneer Museum. The history of the community is highlighted in one of the best rural museums I have ever come across in Alberta. The Pioneer Museum features 23 buildings spread over 14 acres, including several buildings from the past of the community, a former schoolhouse, and the teacherage, which is actually relatively rare to find these days. Among the 10,000 artifacts located at the museum, there's also a trapper's cabin, a church, a blacksmith shop, and an entire rural street recreated to show what the community was like in the small towns of Alberta in the 1930s, called Legacy Street. There's also the Tea House, which was opened in 2002 on the museum grounds, featuring homemade lunches, desserts, soups, and more. Here is William Choi. Yeah, well, it's, uh, you can spend, uh, you know, a half a day there looking through and seeing some of our history, seeing how the, the, the buildings were built out of wood, seeing the sizes of kind of the houses, the, the mills, like the little mills shop that they have there. It's also the blacksmithing shop as well, uh, the old church and school. It's just to kind of let people uh, recognize and kind of reconnect uh, with our history and culture. Mm -hmm. I think if we, if we don't have the opportunity for the younger generations to, um, to see it and, and kind of feel it firsthand, it's something that we're going to lose. I'd like to take a break away from the episode for a second to talk about ExploreNet. I spent most of my life living in rural areas in Canada, and I remember the days of dial-up internet and spotty high-speed service. For the past three years, I have been a customer of ExploreNet, and I can honestly say that it is the best rural internet I have ever had. My job as a podcaster means I spend a lot of time researching online, interviewing people over Zoom, and uploading content. Through it all, ExploreNet has provided me with excellent service. When I'm not working, I enjoy streaming content on several streaming platforms and even doing some online gaming with a friend in Ontario. ExploreNet allows me to do all of that with ease. Right now, they offer up to 50 megabits per second on their new LTE network with unlimited data. Their service has only become faster and better since I first signed on. Today and beyond, ExploreNet is investing in building and upgrading the network at a rapid pace. ExploreNet is rural, and that is their route, and that is their focus. For more information about rural internet options in your area, go to ExploreNet.com or call 1-866-285-2253. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. 
Find Reese's now at a store near you. The Festivals Stony Plain has two festivals that have been going on for several years now, drawing some of the best in their fields to the community. In 1985, the Blueberry Bluegrass Festival was held for the first time at the Golden Spike Community Hall, located nearby to Stony Plain. Over the course of the next 35 years, the festival would feature some very well-known musicians, including Jerusalem Ridge, members of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, Petticoat Junction, and Ricky Skaggs. Another festival, the Stony Plain Cowboy Gathering, has been going on since 1993, with well-known cowboy poets, musicians, and more coming out to perform at the Pioneer Museum. The Murals Growing up in Stony Plain during the 1990s, every year there seemed to be new murals popping up around the community. Across the community you will find 39 murals painted by 23 different artists from across Canada. Recognizing the uh, pioneer growth of the uh, rich agricultural district. Stony Plains mayor proudly proclaimed his fair center's latest achievement this afternoon, three wall-sized murals that depict scenes from the early days of the town. One shows the days of the general store, where everyone gathered around the Cracker Barrel to swap stories. A second commemorates the town sheriff standing up to a corporate giant, the railroad. Seems the railway hadn't paid municipal taxes, so he used a chain to lock a steam engine to the track until the bill was paid. And the third mural's a tribute to a pioneer women's activist, Cornelia Wood. She was a tireless fighter for women's rights in an era when this wasn't a popular thing to do. This mural is the first major work by Delburn artist Terry L. Winter. She thinks it's a great way for us to learn about our history. A visual aid like that, it just adds more to the story, it makes it more enlightened and lively. I love them. I think they're fantastic. They're I would like to see more. And she will, five new murals each year. The idea is to offer a tourist attraction. It's also a great way to learn history. Bill Lang, CBC News, Stony Plain. Now, I won't go through all the murals you can find in the community, but I will highlight some of my favorites. In 2007, drive through time was painted to showcase the history of Main Street as it was in the 1950s. In the mural, you will see Wings Cafe, a popular lunch spot, and inside the lunch spot, you'll find several notable businessmen from that time who are featured within the mural. In 1992, the first people was painted to celebrate the indigenous history of the area. The mural features teepees on a snowy landscape. The entrances to the teepees face east to greet the rising sun, while a bald eagle soars above, serving as a symbolic messenger closest to the creator. Wildlife can be seen in the painting as well, and the colors used in the mural highlight honesty, Mother Earth, wisdom, the sun, faith, and power. In addition, Welcome to Stony Plain is printed in the Cree language. In 1990, the general store was painted, showing the history of Jacob Miller's general store and post office. This was an important landmark in the early history of Stony Plain, with Miller serving as the postmaster for the community. He also served as the second mayor of Stony Plain from 1909 to 1912. On Main Street, near one of my favorite restaurants, the Uptown Grill, there is a mural that showcases the history of the Alberta Government Telephones Building, which lasted from 1906 to 1963, till he zucked 
would start working at the building when she was only 13 years old and would eventually become the chief operator from 1923 to 1943. And she is portrayed in the mural with her daughter, Charlotte. Dr. Richard Oatway and his wife, Grace, are depicted in the Country Doctor mural painted in 1992. The couple came to Stony Plain in 1908, and together they would raise three children in the community and practice medicine in the community for 45 years. Their home can still be found in Stony Plain, north of the railway tracks. Here is William Choi. Yeah, well, definitely the murals is a great program in the town of Stony Plain, like I mentioned earlier. It helps us um, remember and kind of celebrate our history and our roots and where we come from. I've mentioned before, if we start losing our identity, we'll start losing who we are as a community. And you can be travel this whole world and you can find communities when you walk into that there's no sense of, of ownership, no sense of pride in there because they've lost touch of who they are. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, with the murals, it allows us to maintain that uh, connection from our past to where we are now and then also where we're going to the future. Mr. Goalie. No mention of Stony Plain could be complete without talking about Glen Hall, also known as Mr. Goalie. Hall had been born in 1931 in Humboldt, Saskatchewan, but he would buy a farm from David and Della White in the 1960s near Stony Plain. Hall would go on to win the Calder Memorial Trophy in 1956 with the Detroit Red Wings, and he would go on to play in 13 NHL All-Star games, win the Vezina Trophy three times, the Conn Smythe Trophy once, and the Stanley Cup three times, most notably in 1961 with the Chicago Blackhawks. He holds the NHL record for the most consecutive games started by a goaltender with 502 games, and he was inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 1975. In 1998, he ranked 16th on the Hockey News' list of the 100 greatest hockey players of all time, and in 2017, the NHL ranked him as one of the greatest NHL players of all time in their list of the 100 greatest NHL players. In 2008, a mural was painted to honor Glenn Hall and his legendary hockey career. Hall still lives in the area on a farm near Stony Plain, and the arena in the community is named for him. During each offseason, Glenn Hall would return to his farm in Alberta. Although Hall was the undisputed Iron Man of NHL netminers, each fall it was a struggle to get him to return for training camp. Glenn Hall once said, I like everything about hockey except playing. <laughs> he hated training camp. And he had a farm out in Western Canada. So he always, he didn't want to come to camp and he always wanted more money. Two good reasons every fall to paint the barn. You know, he used to always talk about his barn, like, you think, well, it would take him a month to paint, right? You could probably paint it in a half an hour. That's the kind of barn he had. But uh, he was smart. He was smarter than all of us. The true story is that I told Tommy Ivan, the general manager in Chicago, that uh, my intention was to retire. And then when training camp did open, well, I wasn't there. And uh, so, like, the phone's ringing, and uh, and I had been painting this barn, but it's not a big, beautiful barn. It's a little raggedy barn that I was painting. And and uh, so I tell my wife, well, tell him I'm painting the barn. And so it, it just ran off from, from that. And so I've been painting the barn and still needs paint. Israel Umbach. It was in 1907 when an early pioneer to Stony Plain 
Israel Umbach, was elected as the overseer and sheriff of the community. Before we get to his legendary story, we need to talk about the railway coming to the community first. As I said before, the first railway station was built when the railway came through Stony Plain in 1905, with R.B. Sparkman serving as the first station agent. Stony Plain served as the western terminus for the CNR, helping the community become a focal point of activity during those early years. So back to Umbach, and his duty as the sheriff of the area. After getting appointed on April 25, 1907 to the position of overseer and sheriff, he got down to work with his duties. One of the duties was collecting the taxes from both residents and businesses. This raised a problem with the Canadian National Railway, who decided they were not interested in paying their share of the taxes to the community. Umbach corresponded with the company extensively, but to no avail. Eventually, it reached a point where Umbach decided to take matters into his own hands. When the CNR train arrived one day, he decided to go down to the hardware store and get the heaviest and strongest logging chain the store sold. With a huge padlock and the chain on his arm, he walked to the locomotive and wrapped the chain around the engine drivers and the track. He then secured the train with a padlock and told the crew that the train had now been seized and would not move. This helped spur along the CNR once the CN agent notified the company of the seizure of the train. The CNR officials and Umbach exchanged some quick telegrams and they agreed to pay their taxes. Umbach then unlocked the chain and the crew went on their way with their train. Today, a statue stands in Stony Plain honoring Umbach and his train chain story, as well as a replica of the driver with a chain wrapped around it, as I mentioned. There's also a mural, painted in 1990, that showcases this interesting story from the community's past. No mention of Umbach would be complete without talking about the many ways he impacted Stony Plain, beyond the train incident. He was a carpenter by trade, and he would build the community's first barn, school, bank, and in addition to the Royal Hotel, the Glory Hills Reformed Church, several homes, and the town hall. Israel and his wife Louisa would have 13 children together, and he would pass away on June 6, 1948. An Umbach Road in Stony Plain is named for him. Here is William Choi. I've always told, told everybody it doesn't matter what the size of our community gets, uh, it's the feel of the community. Uh, we are a well-connected, uh, friendly community, and we're definitely willing to lend a hand wherever possible. And I think uh, when visitors come in, uh, that's what they'll, they'll feel when they come into uh, shops and shop and then sit down in restaurants, have a drink or uh, you know, something to eat. Uh, the friendliness of the community uh, you know, ties back to our, our roots of being a farming community. The historic downtown is, is awesome. It's a lot of uh, unique uh, mom and pop stores, uh, retail, uh, giftware services. As we continue to evolve and, and grow community, um, kind of revamp that little area to get nicer sidewalks, make it more pedestrian safe so that people have the ability to kind of sit and visit and kind of feel secure when they're walking back and forth to the shops. Again, an excellent opportunity to, to uh, do a day, day trip out here, uh, take a look at all the shops, uh, visit with you know, neighbors and people that uh, you've never met before, but the, they always feel like, like they're, they're your best friends because that's the kind of um, community feel that we're trying to put out. I hope you enjoyed that look at Stony Plain, Alberta, a wonderful, great community located just outside of Edmonton. It has everything you could possibly need. It has great hotels. It has great restaurants. It has great history. And if you're going through, stop in and check it out because it's my hometown and I think it's pretty great. If you'd like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com 
You can visit my website, CanadaEHX.com, where I have hundreds of articles on Canada's history. And you can support this podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to Patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.